Before we get into this new series, I just want to give out a shout to the ladies who shared their heart last week with all of us. Such an amazing job. So real, so honest, so refreshing. Thank you so much for a wonderful, wonderful word from your heart to us on Mother's Day. I'm introducing a trilogy of messages about the Holy Spirit today leading to Pentecost Sunday, I love to talk about the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the only one who can change our lives. And so over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about Him. Now the title today is a declaration of truth, and it's this, the Holy Spirit can change my life. Will you say that wherever you are right now with me? The Holy Spirit can change my life. If we'd say that a few hundred times today and every day, I think our faith would really grow. We're going to go to a very uh, familiar passage of Scripture from the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8, and we're going to read a few verses. I hope you have your Bible or your phone with your Bible and I'd love you to follow along with me as we get into this. Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul is explaining what we mean by having the Holy Spirit change our lives. And here is what Paul says. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. He didn't condemn you for sinning. We'll explain that in a minute. Verse 4, he did that so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would give our eyes, the eyes of our heart, light, to really understand what you are saying from your word. May your word be a word to us, and may we hear it and come to life. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. When I say the Holy Spirit can change my life, can change your life, it's good to know that. And I want to talk to you about why it's good to know that. Because it's very important to clarify what life I'm talking about. Whose life changes? How does he do it? It's good to know the Holy Spirit can do it because I, and you, if you're an I, you have a problem, and I do too. I'm broken, and I'm unfixable. Mm. I am broken. I mean completely. You're broken and unfixable. The Bible says there is something in the world and something in our world and something in our life, inside of our lives, called the law of sin and death. It's in me it's in you, it's in the world, but another law is in the world. 
Jesus brought it into the world, and the Holy Spirit has activated this law in the world. It's called the law of the spirit of life. And it can set us free from the law of sin and death. Now, that freeing act happened when Jesus died before you were born, I was born, died on the cross and rose again from the grave. It happened in you and in me if, if you turned from your life to the new life that God offers everyone for free. That's what the good news is. And that's good to know. And it's really good to know when you come to know that you have a problem and I have a problem. I'm broken and I'm unfixable. The Apostle Paul came to a realization of this. In the seventh chapter of the book of Romans, here's how it is described through the message translation. Paul says about himself, notice how many eyes he's talking about in these words. He says, it happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, Sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands. But it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything, and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The King James says, oh, what a wretched man I am. Who can deliver me from the body of this death? I'm not a psychiatrist, not a psychologist. I'm a preacher and a Beatles fan. But, and I'm not going to try to unload all the layers of this psychological idea here. But, and it's very oversimplified, but I think it's true. If you're a child of God... You have the Holy Spirit in you. You have three eyes in you. If you're not a child of God and you're still a child of Adam, you have two. The first eye in me and in you wants to be the eye I want to be. There is an eye in me that I want to be and you want to be. It's an eye that I think I should be, ought to be, maybe even have to be. It's developed in my life since birth, knowingly and unknowingly. It's been influenced from without, from within, from culture, climate of our family, our friends, our surroundings, our educational background. And in that, we have developed like a snowball rolling down a hill. We've developed moral standards for ourselves, our oughts and our shoulds and our conscience. And in this eye, I can know right from wrong. Everybody has some sort of right and wrong standard. When you're getting ready to pull into that parking spot at Walmart and you've had your blinker on and you're waiting for the lady to move her buggy past your spot and then someone barrels in, you know they're wrong. Whether you're a Buddhist, Hindu, Muslim, Christian, atheist, they're wrong. You're right. This is one thing. We all have our eyes. Then we have another eye. It's broken. It's unfixable. And it traps my eye. I know I ought, I should, I want to. I don't want to. It traps that eye. Deceitfully, 
It depresses it. It dominates it by what Paul calls the law of sin and death. Now, I know that's way oversimplifying, but that's what Paul's talking about in the seventh chapter of Romans. But if you're a child of God, according to Romans 8, 1, there's another eye. It's called the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The eye of another is in you and in me, and it's Christ, the spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit. Now, I found this out the hard way. And I have a good forgetter, so I hope I don't forget this. Because it's really miserable to live not knowing what I'm about to say. Only one of those eyes can live freely and right. And keep changing, becoming, and developing. Only one. Two of those eyes can never become Christian. No way. Can't be reformed to the standard of God, maybe to your standard, my standard, or whatever. Not Christianized, can't. But that's okay. That's okay because, listen, God doesn't want to change me. He wants to exchange me. Say it again. God doesn't want to change me. He wants to exchange me. Now, Satan only wants you and me to focus on the first two eyes. He wants you to focus on the I need to be, I ought to be, I should be, I want to be. How's that work? We might do a little better. I'm on a pretty good roll with my running now. Been running for a month and a half. Doing pretty good. I have a standard of that. If I don't live up to it, I have also a very high, hypercritical standard of myself. And so if I don't live up to it, all of a sudden I become a loser real quick in my mind. I also have a law standard and a what God wants from me standard. You probably do too. Satan only wants me and you to focus on the first two eyes. Never the third. Never. Never the third. But here's what God wants you to focus on. He doesn't want to change your first two eyes. He wants to exchange them. We just read an autobiographical description by Paul of somewhere in his journey where he shifted from his previous mental map, his paradigm, a mindset he had before realizing that God wanted an exchange instead of a change. He tried to be right with God. His eye began to recognize, though, that he had another eye that couldn't come along and wouldn't come along. Don't you wish you could kick that eye out of your car when you're driving down the road? Get him lost, take him out in the boondocks, leave him there, and he didn't have a perfect GPS and find his way back to you? He greets me in the morning when I wake up. You? Paul tried to be right with God. His eye began to recognize he had another eye that wouldn't come along, and he said, I'm a miserable man. You know why I said that? Because he had a conscience. And not only did he have a conscience, he had a Bible conscience. The most miserable people in the world are not atheists. They're people with a Bible conscience who try to Christianize their first eye, struggle with their second, and listen to the law preachers and the accuser. I need something more, don't you? 
Paul says, I know the law, but I can't keep it. And if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my intentions, I obviously need help. I realize I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but when I, and I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, and then, yeah. My decisions, such as they are, don't get results in action. Something's gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. Watchman Nee, one of my favorite writers, in his book, The Normal Christian Life, says it like this. A drowning man cannot be saved until he is utterly exhausted and ceases to make the slightest effort to save himself. A Christian man or woman cannot become like Jesus unless he or she realizes God doesn't want them to change themselves. He wants to exchange them. Some believers, I've lived in this, oh, consumed with trying to Christianize my other two eyes. There's no one in the, in the sanctuary, but I wish someone would amen me. Private message me an amen. God won't do it. God isn't interested in reforming my eyes. He wants to exchange me. Picture this. Picture this. Let's say you own a business, and it's going nowhere. Or actually, it's going somewhere. It's going down. You have a staff, and they're frustrated. Conflict is everywhere. You're losing money. Profit margin is shrinking. You've tried everything. You're desperate, so you hire an expert. This expert comes in, assesses everything and sits down with you and tells you the truth. He says, I can make this turn around. Great opportunity and potential here, man. And you get all excited. You go, how? And then you say this, I'll do anything you say. He says, well, you only have to do one thing. You're like, great, only one thing. He's like, yeah, what is it? I need to take over your business. You have to quit. Now, you'll get the benefits and the success, but I have to take your job because you are messing it up. I have to take it over. A newborn believer can't develop his life in the Spirit without the Holy Spirit any more than a dry man can become wet swimming in the sand on a beach. He has to be in the water. Look out on the beach and you see a Christian swimming in the sand and you're like, what are you doing? I'm trying to produce the fruit of the Spirit in my life and I'm trying to keep the fruit of the flesh from manifesting yeah. in my life. Mm. Trying to reform my old eye to be Christian won't take any more than trying to hang a coat in the air. When I say the Holy Spirit can change my life, it's good to know. Because I've got a problem and I can't fix it. It's very important to clarify what life I'm talking about changing. Here's a second reason why it's good to know. It's good to know we have a promise. Man. Verse 3 of chapter 8 says, For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh. Now listen, here's what that means. The law of God wasn't weak and it wasn't wrong. God sent the law to show us we couldn't fix ourselves. We were broken. 
Our two eyes are not capable of being God's kind of right. We can be church kind of right, Republican kind of right, Democrat kind of right, American kind of right, maybe. But we can't be God's kind of right. But what we couldn't do, here's the great thing, God did. Why? So that the requirement of the law, which is, ready, which is not rigid religion, not oughts and shoulds, it is a heart relational righteousness with God. A heart relational righteousness with God. It would be fulfilled in us. How? God's promise. God's promise. When I was studying this, I could hear Sister Bruce, one of my professors back in the day at Southeastern University. She's a little British lady, and she said to me one time, when I was struggling with all this, I've been struggling with this for many, many, many days through my life, all with good intentions. She said, oh, brother, cannot your Lord make his desires your desires? Take your Bible and turn to Ezekiel 36. I want you to look in your word or listen to how many times the two words I will are used. I will. And here's the hint. The I will is not you or me. Someone better. God. Ezekiel 36 verse 25 says, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness, all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And give you, give you a heart of flesh. In other words, I'll get your spirit ready for something more. Here it is, ready? Verse 27. I will put my spirit within you, that's another I, and cause you to walk in my statutes. Saul of Tarsus tried to do that, couldn't do it. And when Saul became Paul and the Holy Spirit was working in his life, God created a want to in him. Remember the story in the Galatian letter? When Paul is explaining what God's done for him and the apostles in, Jer in Jerusalem give him an I should, they say, now remember the poor. And Paul goes, which was the very thing I wanted to do. They mean remember the poor. I got a heart that wants to remember the poor. I don't have to swim on the sand to think about remembering the poor. It's in my nature now. I have a new eye. God did it. God does it. God maintains it. And the Spirit will create in me a desire to tenderly want to observe God's ways. I won't get anywhere hanging my coat in the air or trying to put the, the fruits of the Spirit on my messed up part of me and then he goes, more, moreover, I will be your God. I will save you from all your uncleanness. Look at someone near you and say, that's good to know. There are many people who won't go to church because they know they can't 
do the church. They can't do Christianity. Where'd they get that from? Where'd they get that from? Sadly, some preachers are preaching our wrong eye out and pushing the wrong eyes to the front of the bus. And when we don't point to the only eye that can help us, then we have no hope in the so-called gospel, which is based on calling your old eyes out. We move to an altar and say we're sorry, because we are, because we have a good eye that can't be godly, and we align with what was preached that called our old eye out, and we say, I don't want to be that way. Give me a fix. And then we go back, not focusing on the only eye that can change a life. This is due to not understanding that God doesn't want to change us. He wants to exchange us. The good news of the gospel is a promise given in the old covenant for new people. I will. I will. I will. It isn't about personal change. It's about a personal exchange. We don't focus on personal change. We focus on personal exchange. Let me explain this even more. God's eyes, his eyes that he sees with, sees our need. Just like the disciples out on that water, straining at the oars. Someone has to come who can walk on that storm and get in. We were weak in ourselves, and God promised to come for us personally. The gospel is, I'll come and get you. The gospel is, I'll come and save you. I'll come and free you. I'll come and fill you. I'll come and form you. I'll come and make you. That's good to know. Look at your refrigerator and say, that's good to know, if you're the only one there. Here's another reason. It's good to know we have a person or persons. Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Verse 3, but what the law could not do, why not the law, weak as it was through the flesh, my two eyes, God did. He sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Here's what that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that God looks at us sinning in the flesh and condemns us. It means that he came, took our condemnation on himself and buried it and put it to death. So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who don't try to do the law, don't try to ought and should on ourselves. Instead, exchange our effort, our trying for his faithfulness in us by the Spirit of God. When Jesus died and rose again 40 days later, the Holy Spirit came into the world, and now there is a new law. It's called, in my, my definition, a right-like-God force in the world. Not a right-like-the-church-lady, or a right-like-a-church. A, a right-like-God force. That's the Holy Spirit, and he brings that power. He invites every person into that life-giving power exchange. And you don't even have to know one verse in the Bible. Not one. Not one. 
Here's what verse 9 says of chapter 8. However, you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. For all who are being led by the spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of slavery, leading to fear again. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with your spirit, that new heart, you're a child of God. Our life change occurs within a deep relational embrace between God and me, God and you. It's not a rigid effort in fear under a slave with a dominating master. It's a heart-to-heart, warm father-child, pacha, grand slam, pacha, juju bear. Empowered by kindness, hope, strength, mercy, love, not harshness. Harshness and obsession with efforts to conform from peer pressure of our own won't change us. It's an unrealistic attempt through one of our eyes. I want to close with this. It's good to know we can find power in a place. Just think of all your struggles, all my struggles, all what I want to be and what I, and all I, the broken, the thing that I don't want anybody to know. Just think if God just yelled out from the sky, if you live here in my town, and said, if you go to 11507 Moss Avenue, between uh, 9.50 and 11 o'clock, you walk in that building, and I will put a force in you that will cause you to be everything that you've wanted to be, from your good eye, that glorifies me and all the broken stuff, I'll begin to, in a relational, warm embrace, we'll work out of that, to walk out of that together. When you go, you just go there, and you knew it, you go there. You go to a place, that's what Christianity is, you go to a place, but there is no place but one. It's not a church, it's not a self-help book. They can help yourself. Myself needs more than myself. I need the law of the spirit of life. It's only placed one place, in Christ Jesus. There's a powerful, life-changing, life-offered place where I can become. It's only in one location. It's in Christ Jesus. When I was thinking about this, I was thinking the other day when I went to Walmart, I was going into Walmart. You know, I don't know, but I think this is in every Walmart. But it's in our Walmart. Before you go into the door into Walmart with your mask on, you're not wearing a hat. Your hair is there. You go under the fan. You know what I mean by you go under the fan on your way into Walmart? You can see some people, they're trying to keep their hair do-do. And then you see them trying to go under the fan with sort of like a leaning or a thingy to think that's not going to get It always gets me. I don't have the hair I used to have, so when it gets me, it makes a problem because there's little strips that, like, when the fan hits it, it goes somewhere, and then I can't see what it looks like. And my broken eye and my good eye have a problem with my hair being out of place, and I really have a problem because God's letting me not have it. You ever go into Walmart? You can't avoid the effect of that dang Walmart fan. Have you ever gone under a fountain of water or under a waterfall and didn't get wet? 
The location guarantees a certain result. The location of the law of the spirit of life is in Christ Jesus. There is a place where the law of the spirit can set you free, make you fruitful, and continue to grow deeper as a son and a daughter of God. And Paul explains to us how we get in there and how an exchange takes place. He says it in Galatians 2.20. Here's how the message says it. I love it. Listen to this. My old identity. Paul's talking about his two eyes. Ready? Listen. My old identity has been co-crucified with Jesus and no longer lives. For the nails of his cross crucified me with him. And now, the essence of this new life, third eye, is no longer mine. For Christ lives his life through me. And I live in union with him. My life, my new life, listen, I love this. We've heard it through the other versions. This, this will shock it back to real. Listen, my new life is empowered by the faithfulness of the Son of God. Not my faithfulness. The faithfulness of the Son of God living in me, who, ready, loves me so much that he gave himself for me and dispenses his life into mine. In the 1990s, in the early 2000s, the New York Yankees had a relief pitcher by the name of Mariano Rivera. The greatest, in my opinion, the greatest closer of all time. He was lights out. If the other team was threatening, Joe would walk out to the mound, Joe Torre, or Girardi, whoever. I think he was managing with him. If the Yankees had a lead to hold, they'd bring in Mariano Rivera. And the scoreboard would say, enter the Sandman. And they begin to play the song. I think it was a Rush song. And you know what you knew? If you're on the other team, most likely it was lights out. The Sandman was coming into the mound. Game over. Very rarely would someone turn it around. Because my son is working the sound, I want to remind him of a moment that had happened when Big Pockby took him deep. I'll just leave that right there. But, but, most likely when the Sandman came in, the game was over. The opponent's threat came to nothing. My life of sin and destruction can't be fixed. I need to call on the Sandman. The God-man. The closer. Enter Jesus. He who knew no sin, God sent to enter my life. That's the I will, I will, I will. He comes to reside in my life, touches my spirit to make it a landing place for his spirit. Enter the Sandman against Satan's arguments, against your own efforts, your own feeling of worthlessness that just continually becomes renewed and agreed upon because in your effort and mine trying to be with my eye one or two I need an exchange and God loves us so much that he longs to make the exchange
Lord, we lift our voices in praise to God. Three and one, one and three. We thank you for wanting to replace us. Thank you for wanting to replace me. I thank you and I praise you for all you have done and all you do and all you want to do to the praise of your glorious grace. Speak to hearts straight now in this place, in their homes. You out there, you struggle to be right. Man, been in that ring. You have a moral standard and you try to justify it out of an innocent heart, honest heart. Sometimes out of fear. And you have another side of yourself scares you to death, but it doesn't scare you to life. I know that. I too. You've tried to be what Christians are supposed to be or not be. Or you back away from it because you're fearful that you can't change. You're honest. But you don't have to be fearful. Because God doesn't look at people like that. Maybe you've tried to comfort yourself in some place. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. But in your conscience, there's still a troublesome thought. You're confused, convicted, condemned in your mind. And Satan, whether you know him or not, he's beating you up. Keep looking at the first eye. Keep looking at the second eye. Listen, here's what you and I need all the time. We need to trust and open the home of our heart to another. Enter the Sandman. A call to the bullpen. Jesus, I'm tired of trying to Christianize my broken, unfixable self. I'm tired of standards placed on me by me, reading the Bible, trying to be what only you can be. Enter the Sandman. And here's the good news. Jesus wants to come and wants to take over and wants to do that best thing. He wants to make your spirit clean. The blood of Jesus can break and sanctify your heart, your spirit. Create a landing place for His spirit to lift me up, lift me out, lift me into an exchange where instead of my faithfulness, He replaces me with His faithfulness. Paul said, I live by faith in the Son of God, meaning I live by the faithfulness of the Son of God. Not what He did on the cross only, but His faithful life through me. It says, Jesus Christ in me, being faithful to His Father by the same Spirit that He was empowered by to go to the cross. I pray, Lord, for every person that needs You. I pray that You'd open heaven and like a ladder coming down to show the Jacob in all of us that he comes down for us. We don't climb up the ladder. He comes to us. Thank you, Jesus. May the Spirit of Christ that raised the Nazarene from a slab of cold stone go into the heart of every person, believer and unbeliever. 
believers who've fallen into the problem of self-effort, will worship, and fear to come alive with an exchange by the grace of God. Open our eyes, Lord. See what Christ can do in us. I pray that you will say this by faith. The Holy Spirit can change my life. It's no longer I that live. Christ lives in me. Man, I love you. I'm rooting for you. I'm rooting for you to turn over your business. Turn over mine. To the one that can do better than best. To the praise of the glory of his grace. I love you guys. Love you, man. Thanks for being with us today. Let's sing our way. Let's sing our way into the presence of Jesus. Amen.